Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! everybody, and welcome to Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Andy Carty. Hi, Annie. Hi, Walt. Annie, so I know that the Halloween episode has already happened, and Halloween has now come and gone for the people hearing this. Yeah. But we're still recording before Halloween. and things Still, still spooky. Still spooky, and things feel a little spirited. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty spirited about this episode. Yeah, but who Are... would not feel that way? Someone who needs a doctor? Yeah, okay, we said all the words. Yeah, sure. We're really good at these snazzy, punny intros, guys. Oh, yeah, we're just the best at it. Annie, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? On Crossover Appeal, we take two pieces of media, two fandoms, and we mash them right up. See where they cross over. Yeah, and if the audience has been carefully listening so far in the one and a half minutes we've been recording, they will have been able to decipher our clues to the puzzle house, which is... The puzzle house of fandoms. Mystery fandoms. Get your keys ready. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, there's a new room to explore. (laughs) Do you have a copy? We can make you one. Visit the janitor and ask him to borrow his. We should just... Talk about what we're doing. Oh, of, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. The I janitor's this, creepy. I thought this riff was golden. And he just hates kids. <laughs> just sits down in the closet all day reading oh, magazines. About how he wishes he were a wizard. Well, that and cat. Yeah, that and cat fancy. Oh, yeah. I mean, at least he loves that cat. That is true. She is a beauty. Yeah. And Mrs. Norris. Okay, that was last time's episode. Yeah, that's true. We're still stuck in a rut. Um, Annie, what are we moving on to today? So today, we are mashing up Spirited Away and Doctor Who, specifically the ninth Doctor. Yes, for reasons which will become apparent later in the episode. Well, I'm really still stuck on the spooky thing. Yeah, it's not um, so spooky now. It's no. It's going to be November when they hear this. Oh, that's true. There's nothing spooky about November. Except pilgrims. Oh, my God. They're <laughs> coming right for us. <laughs> they have coming. Why do they have those bonnets? <laughs> they have very specific what opinions about our level of morality. <laughs> what do the buckles do? <laughs> oh, man. They are incredibly disapproving as well. Anyway. So, Andy, why don't you go ahead and tell us about Spirited Away, which pilgrims would think of as witchcraft. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, the of watching of, the plot of, they would have no idea what was going also on. Also, the fact that it was a moving image. That That's what was... I mean, like the actual physical watching of. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. they would not be a fan no. of that. Um, so, Spirited Away is a uh, Japanese anime film that came out in 2001. Um, it was written dire- and directed by Hayao Miyazaki and produced by Studio Ghibli. Studio um, Ghibli, it's our first one. Oh my gosh, such amazing films. And yeah, this is yeah. one of the best. Um, mm-hmm. It is about a girl named Chihiro who enters the spirit world by accident and has to save her parents who have been turned into pigs by the witch Yubaba. Like, and, so exciting. And why do they turn into pigs? 
because they eat food that should not have been for them. It was yeah. for the spirit world. Including like really big, gross sort of membrane-y things that they're just like sucking down. Like yeah. the, the, it's a very well, that, visceral that food that I'll talk about in the, in the themes. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Well, spoiler alert, I guess. Well, I mean, that's right in the beginning. Okay. <laughs> um, so Chihiro, um, in order to save her parents, she gets a job at Yubaba's bathhouse for the spirits um, where she has to navigate the spirit world and figure out who she can trust so to help her get home um miyazaki based chihiro on the kind of sullen and stubborn daughter of his friend which i find Aww. delightful just like he met this kind of bratty little kid and was like you deserve a movie i hope that he told her i hope he was oh, like I hope i'm so. making a character about you and i hope she was just and like she's a little yeah, jerk yeah like what you did you little jerk you made me write an amazing movie. That is so touching and thoughtful. <laughs> everyone loves. Yay. Take that, Kevin McAllister. Yeah, right? All he did was stay home. Yeah, and spill a bunch of Pepsi everywhere. Yeah, and let the spider loose. So not cool. Oh, yeah. Home yeah. Alone 2, way better than Home Alone. Just going to throw that out there. Plus, it has Daniel Stern getting electrocuted until he turns into a skeleton, which everybody loves in a live-action film. That's true. We're getting far away from Spirited Away. It's true. We're wandering through the spirit world of Chris Columbus movies. Um, so Spirited Away was a huge hit in Japan, um, like apparently like a, a bigger hit than Titanic, which had been like the biggest hit of all time oh, forever at the time. Um, and it also got lots of critical acclaim, including an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, major characters include Shihiro, who is also named Sen um, when she joins Yubaba's bathhouse. Um, Haku is a friend to Chihiro and Yubaba's henchman. He is a dragon river spirit um, and also under Yubaba's curse. Yeah, he's a secret dragon. Secret dragon. So awesome. Um, Kamaji is a like multi-armed boiler man who oh, yeah. helps um, Chihiro get her get her job. With his little sitball friends. Yeah, he's got these little sitball friends who do his work with him. Yeah, they and... look like little fuzzy guys that you stick on dashboards uh, or something. Yeah, and they, and, they, and they carry little star bits. Oh yeah, they eat star bits. Yeah. Oh. They're so cute. They and they delicious. also show up in another Miyazaki movie, um, My Neighbor really? Totoro. Oh, that's right. That's where we first meet the little little dust mic oh, guy. So this is in the in the Studio Ghibli cinematic universe. This is. Of linked properties. Yeah. Um, I would you, watch that Avengers. Oh, me too. The Avengers of the little soot guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, I meant the Avengers. I would watch the Studio Ghibli Avengers. Oh, yeah. But then they would like fight against. Sadness. Um, and pollution. And yeah. like there would be no real bad guys because you would realize that even the bad guys were people too. Are we just describing Captain Planet? Yeah. Did no, just, the did we Captain just invent Planet, Captain Planet? Has, <laughs> all, has real bad guys. Oh, that's true. We It would be Captain Planet, except you would come to understand why the bad guys, like Verminous Scum, are doing the things that they do. And, and he would come around, too. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody would make the planet better. Yeah. Um, other characters are Lynn, who is another bath, bathhouse worker, and she becomes like a big sister to Trehero. Um, Yubaba is the witch, who owns a bathhouse. Uh, Zaniba is her t nicer twin sister. Um, no Face is a kind of creepy looking spirit who Shihiro invites into the bathhouse and he seems kind of threatening, but he just doesn't really understand how to interact with oh, other people. Just a little confused. Yeah. So I feel like that's like a really good example of um, one theme in this is, again, like the villains don't end up really being villains. Like Yubaba is yeah. like a hard businesswoman and, you know, she turned Shihiro's parents into pigs, but, you know, she she ends up being... 
uh, like a pretty okay person in the yeah. end, and she loves her giant baby. <laughs> oh, her giant baby that gets turned into a tiny bird. Yeah, or like no, he's a little. Oh, mouse. he's turned into a mouse that gets yeah. carried by a tiny. bird. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, I think the tiny bird was that like the three heads. Yeah, it all makes sense Something when you like watch that. the movie, yeah, you it's, guys. It's awesome. <laughs> um, another big theme is coming of age. Um, mm-hmm. When the movie starts, Shihiro is moving with her parents to a new town and leaving mm-hmm. kind of her her friends behind. Um, and this time in the spirit world kind of helps her transition from like a, a kind of a child who's, you know, upset and grumpy and scared and to, into someone who realizes that she can kind of tackle new challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the movie goes also goes into the importance of empathy and kindness. Um, mm-hmm. Like Chihiro really succeeds when she helps others, um, like with the little soot guys. Oh, yeah. Like she, she helps them out. And then um, Kamaji is ready to like help her get a job yeah absolutely everyone sort of helps her because they see her helping other people yeah um yeah and she doesn't take advantage of no face when he is in the bathhouse and like Mm -hmm. eating people and offering gold she's just like i don't want any part of this yeah absolutely Um, and she's she's, yeah she's very willing to do the work uh, that other people don't necessarily yeah. want to do and just sort and of I put mean, herself out there. Yeah, she kind of has to because she's the the lowest worker there. But, For sure. Um, yeah, she, she puts herself out there and I think learns to be less self-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and another big theme here and also in a lot of Miyazaki movies is um, criticism of like consumerism mm-hmm. and um, pollution and just like, kind of abusing yourself in the environment basically um like when shihiro's parents eat the spirit food like they just sit down and think okay well there's no one here but we have money we can just start eating yeah and they just end up like gorging themselves and becoming these pigs and it is super grotesque yeah super like, grotesque is very little that is appetizing about that yeah montage. um and i think miyazaki i think he he mentioned it in an interview is like looking at that as being um reflective of society's uh, approach to consumerism and just like wanting more and more and more um and then later in the bathhouse um there is a river spirit who comes in but they think he's like a, a stink spirit stink, right? yeah, yeah because he's so gross and of course Cheryl is the only one who's like she gets the job to give him the bath um but she ends up kind of um, unclogging him from all this pollution. It's just yeah. gross. And yeah. now the river spirit is is free again. It's like popping a mud pimple or something. Yeah. It's really, uh, mm. But it's it's a good re- kind of reflection on what happens when we don't take care of nature. Yeah, and there's a very mm. real sort of peace and balance to the way that things at the spe- at the uh, the bathhouse work that only when intru- outside intrusions like the parents come in or uh, the river spirit with this clog do things get disrupted. Like there's yeah. a really sort of na- a feeling of a natural order to things. And this the bathhouse is – there's a lot of grotesquery in it, but right. it's all very it, sort of chill. Yeah. And like even for like the, you know, the stink spirit or like there's the radish god or something. Yeah. Really. And like maybe they seem weird, but they're all kind of in their right place. Um and I think this and a lot of, again, other Miyazaki movies are so much about balance and kind of order in the universe and, mm-hmm. and having respect for things outside yourself. Absolutely. Um, so things that I like and I think other people will like about the movie. Um, it's just beautifully animated. Like like the whole Studio Ghibli collection is just awesome in mm-hmm. general. Um, 
I love the gentle storytelling. Again, like the villains aren't really evil. Um, everything is really thoughtful. I feel like there's one scene where um, Haku shows Jihiro her parents who are now pigs. And mm-hmm. he's like, you have to remember them because this is going to be important later. Um and he gives Shihiro food and she just ends up crying. And I feel like it's such a really sensitive moment in the movie where it's like yeah. this poor girl is way in over her head. And like it's such a moment of catharsis for her and the viewer. Um, and I feel like you don't necessarily get a lot of those kind of moments um, in really lots of other movies, not just animated movies. Absolutely. Um, and again, I like it that it's a story about kind of an unlikable young girl. She's kind of a pill when she starts off and you you end up really rooting for her because she is way in over her head. Yeah, I think it does a great job of uh she's incredibly overmatched the whole movie and she rises to the occasion. Yeah. Sort of with the help of others, but she first needs to be able to earn the respect and the help of others. Yeah. Um to become stronger. Um so yeah, highly recommended. Mhm. It is a fine fine choice. Was it the first Studio Ghibli movie to come stateside? You know, that's a good question. I There was a big push from a lot of people, so. including John Lasseter, to bring yeah. a lot of them over in the 90s. And... I I feel like we might have had Totoro before then. Mm, I think so. And I'm trying to remember when I saw Kiki's Delivery Service. I think that was in 2001. Mm-hmm. So I think some might have come over earlier, but it wasn't like a big deal. Like this, again, yeah. like it got the Oscar for Best Animated Film. It was a, it was a big deal. release uh, and very, very well worth it. Oh, totally. Um, well, speaking of things coming stateside, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about Doctor Who? Yeah. Um, so because this is the first episode that we're talking about Doctor Who, there's a little bit of backstory that needs to get covered. Um, we are talking about a very specific stretch of Doctor Who, specifically the ninth Doctor, played by Christopher Eccleston, who was uh, part of the show for one season. Um, a little bit of background for Doctor Who, because it is a very large sort of amorphous blob of media that I think a lot of people find incredibly intimidating if they aren't uh, accessing it first. Which is understandable because it is one of the longest running television shows of all time. Um, the show started in 1963. It's a British show. Uh, it ran from, first from 1963 to 1989. It was canceled. Um, there was a brief resurgence. They tried to do a backdoor pilot in 1996, which failed. Um, but then they remounted successfully in 2005, and it has been running ever since. So that's a lot of literal decades of show. And the really amazing thing about Doctor Who is that all of those decades are canonical. Um, Doctor Who is probably one of the best structured and built serialized television shows you can imagine. It is simply... uh, constructed in a way that could theoretically let it evolve and run forever. Um, it has a few very, very basic components, which are essentially all that you need to jump into the show. Um, it always centers on an interstellar traveler named the Doctor. He is part of an alien race called the Time Lords. He has a magic box called the TARDIS that he travels around in. Uh, it looks like a police call box in order to sure. be... You know, a telephone um, booth if you're... Yeah, if you're American. American. It looks like or a of a certain booth. age. Too. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Oh, God. People might not even know telephone booths pretty soon. Yeah, right. Just be like, why does he have an exterior closet? Oh, <laughs> is that like a porta potty? Yeah. I mean, it's essentially at this point, that's becoming the closest actual reference. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, it can look like anything, but he has made his look like a call box and then it has become stuck in that look. I thought uh, he got it that way. I forget, actually. 
I thought he stole it that way. Yeah. It's well, it's stuck. It's not changing. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. So it is a fixed uh, point. Within that box, uh, it is bigger on the inside, which means essentially it has a little itty-bitty exterior, and then you open the door, and it has infinite space inside of it. And you can use it to travel literally anywhere in time or space. So this is a show that can go to any time period, any planet, anywhere that it wants um, on any given episode. Um, The Doctor spends his time traveling around in the box and solving mysteries or having adventures. He usually brings along human companions— uh, who usually uh, British? Yeah, generally British. Usually female, but there are a lot of uh, uh, males as well uh, and aliens as well. Uh, but he sort of builds and gathers a menagerie of people to him, uh, and he has a tool called a sonic screwdriver, which is basically a physicalized plot device. The idea with the sonic screwdriver is if there is a thing that is getting in the way of the plot, the Doctor points the screwdriver at it. It goes. And lights up, and the thing is fixed, so he can hack oh, a computer only with if it. It's metal, or he can't do it if it's wood. Of, yeah. It doesn't work on wood. Yeah, um, and it also will not work on randomly random other things when they need the plot thing to stand in the way uh, in order to go a little bit longer. You know. Um, so yeah, like you can't you make do. it work. Um, but it's great because it's a totally flexible and portable plot mechanism that can keep an episode moving along without getting bogged down in a lot of science or techno babble. Um, they don't really talk a lot about reversing the polarity or things like that because they don't have to come up with justifications for why things are being fixed. Um, The biggest thing about the Doctor, uh, those are sort of the basic elements of the show. They're the constants. And the thing that has allowed this show to keep running for decades while still being canonical is that the Doctor is functionally immortal. Uh, When he does face an obstacle or an enemy that kills him, he regenerates and takes on a new form Uh, usually played by a different actor. So when you hit an actor getting to the end of their contract or wanting to move to another thing after playing the Doctor for a long time, or you just want to shake the show up, you can literally bring in a totally new actor to play the character. To date, all of these other actors have been white British guys. Um, Oh, yeah. Which is something that the fan community around Doctor Who has started more and more in recent years to agitate for changing. Because he can literally be anyone. Exactly. So you can can be uh, like... Judy Dench or could be John Cho. Oh, John Cho would be great. He'd John be Cho's great. great in anything. Swoony. <laughs> so yeah, um, it's really a, an area where the show so far has explored all the different types of white dude that the Doctor can be. Mm. And there is the full opportunity, which the showrunners have expressed interest in moving forward, uh, to explore the full breadth of humanity that the Doctor could be, which is really exciting for fans. Um, obviously, there's a whole lot of history. It's all canonical, but... For people like us, the 2006 series, which, uh, which, or st- excuse me, 2005 series, uh, which started then and has been running and, and is still continuing to run through now, is where Annie and I got on board with it. We I, still have I not watched the I feel like it's a classics. pretty good place to get on board, too. It's, it, mm-hmm. it feels kind of like a reboot. Yeah, it's essentially, uh, it keeps all the history intact, but it only brings in the history when they can work it into the rest like, of the Like, um, we get to meet uh, Sarah Jane. A who, former companion. Yeah, who had her own TV show. Mm-hmm. And that one was more, I think, directed towards a younger audience. Um, yeah. But they got to bring her on board. And yeah, they'll reference like little things but and um, a lot of the old enemies like the Daleks or the Cybermen will pop up so it's a show that's very aware of its own history but it 
still moves forward and creates its own mythos as it goes. It's very much like a comic book in that way, where the history is there for them to use and pull from as they want to, but they don't need to be totally slavish to it. Because again, this is a character who, by definition, travels anywhere or any when that they want to, so you can play around with timeline and causality and all of that and have a lot of fun. It's really just an excuse to build little mystery boxes and puzzles. Um, the first series of the 2006 or excuse me 2005 reboot i really want to give it one less year than it had yeah well you just you were really excited about 2006 it was a big year it was a big year we graduated from college yeah everything was different i think people were still wearing those pants that said juicy on them i worked a night shift at a printmaking factory yeah my, a, you got like acid burns yeah it was great I think yeah. was, i've never felt more hardcore Woo. um but uh, the first Doctor in the new iteration of Doctor Who was played by Christopher Eccleston. He was the ninth Doctor in sequence. Uh, so everybody refers to him as number nine or as the ninth Doctor. Um, he was only on for one series, and it was a super fun series. It was a really lovely reintroduction to the show. Uh, it was done by Russell T. Davies, who was who the showrunner for the first— directed some— of the BBC Austins, if I oh yes, I believe my information is correct. So he has quite the pedigree. Yeah, I'm uh, just saying, <laughs> it's a great great time to be alive. Um, but this was really an, a chance for people who had grown up watching Doctor Who to bring it back into the public eye and reactivate it a little bit. Because of that, the first season uh, with Christopher Eccleston does sometimes split the difference between a show for more grown-up audiences and a show for children, which... Yeah, it's really figuring itself out tone-wise. Yeah, and the show for a very long time was seen as sort of a children's entertainment because it was science fiction. It was very... It's always had sort of charmingly cheesy special effects. I feel um, like it... Again, like not having seen the original ones i feel like it would end up feeling more like um are you afraid of the dark where it's like really fun mm -hmm. storytelling um kind of creepy yeah but but also kind of cheesy right exactly i think it sort of occupied that sort of place but then you had all these people who grew up watching it wanting to bring it into a new generation and so during the first season they do a lot of balancing between the kind of kids show instincts and then realizing that there was a whole adult audience that was interested in it as well and starting to become a bit darker and getting more interested in the broader themes of the doctor's existence um major characters during this season uh, obviously christopher eccleston as the ninth doctor he brings a great sort of manic but still dangerous energy to things. He kind of has a grounding to him that's really compelling to watch. Um, Billy Piper as Rose Tyler, who uh, is the primary companion of the season, and she would actually end up staying on through a number of future seasons, um, even as the Doctor changed around her. You had Camille Kaduri as Jackie Tyler, who's Rose's mother. Hilarious. And Noel Clark as her boyfriend at home, Mickey Smith. Oh, poor um, Mickey. This was one of the... Newer features of the new series is that it, especially with Russell D. Davies at the helm, it took a very keen interest in the lives of the companions on the show. Which I really liked, actually. I feel like Absolutely. I'm more interested in seeing the emotional arc of a companion because it's... So you can imagine yourself going along with the Doctor versus yeah. the Doctor who, you know, is exactly. a Time Lord and can regenerate. And I think uh, Davies did a great job of moving them past just being viewpoint characters and really letting the show be about what it would be like to be a person who has this incredibly unknowable and alien force come into their lives and change everything. Mm -hmm. um, so you really get a lot of interesting interpersonal tensions as Rose tries to balance her life with the Doctor and her life at home. 
with her family, essentially. Um, you also have John Barrowman pop up as Captain Jack oh, Harkness. Oh, Captain Jack Harkness. Uh, a sort of omnisexual... Flirt factory. <laughs> military man from World War II who ends up sort of accidentally becoming completely and utterly immortal. Um, Jack Harkness pops up throughout the rest of the run of Doctor Who and as well on uh, a spinoff series called Torchwood. Which, which we'll is a lot of fun. a little bit later on as well. A little darker. Yeah. Um, so you have all of this sort of core of characters and then you have a sort of uh, rogues gallery or menagerie of alien villains that the show deals with. Some of them from long ago, the Daleks are sort of the most primary um, alien enemy that the Doctor faces. They are the most terrifying force in the universe that also happens to look like a rolling trash can with a plunger on one end that shoots death rays. Um, this is, again, where the cheesiness of the special effects comes into play. Especially when, you know, it's based on a, sh- a show from the 60s, and they had a certain budget back then, too. Exactly. So, so you want to make your bad guys look like they did to be recognizable, but also they were working on a shoestring yeah. back then. So they just kind of kept the charm of it. The overarching plot of this season is that the Doctor is dealing with having survived what is referred to as the Time War. We really don't get a lot of details about it, but all we know is that it killed all the other Time Lords, which is the race the Doctor is from, uh, and that he was at least partly responsible for it. So you have this sort of brooding sense from the Doctor that he's the last of his kind, he's trying to find a new purpose, and he zeroes in on Rose as a potential uh, source for that. Um... You have Rose trying to deal again with her family life versus her life with the Doctor. And then you're bringing back these sort of classic enemies while also bringing in new enemies. In addition to that, there's a runner throughout the season, which is a feature. You usually get little hints throughout the season of a larger plot at work. In season one, it's the occurrence of the words bad wolf uh, being graffitied onto walls and different... Uh, areas that they visit throughout the course of the season and no one's quite sure why if, until the finale. If I am given the opportunity to graffiti something, um, I will just write Bad Wolf. Yeah. It's I a go very, for that. Yeah, and I feel like it's if a good a, go-to, if a Hulian like, sees it, then I feel like it's a little high five. Yeah, just a little shout out. Yeah. Uh, it's a great go-to. Uh, oh, there's a, there's a public chalk wall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, write some Bad Wolf on there. Um, just as a little nod to the rest of the universe. Um, so if you do decide to get into Doctor Who, and I would highly, highly recommend that you do, a couple things to keep in mind when you launch in, especially if you do start with the Ninth Doctor uh, season from 2005. This show is cheesy. Oh my God, it's so cheesy. In the early going. I showed the first episode of Christopher Eccleston's Doctor Who to Annie, and she almost it, forced me to stop halfway through. It was through. seriously like a bad episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. You have to go in expecting and knowing that there are those levels of production values, and that then it gets better. Um, in addition, the first half of the season is, again, trying to fight against that children's show, adult show dynamic. Specifically, they introduce uh, an alien race of enemies called the Slavine, which are basically notable mostly because they fart a lot. And there are oh, oh so many fart jokes. Um I cannot stress this enough. Stick with it. And I'll give you some tips later on on how to end around and get yeah. yourself excited for what the show becomes. Because it seems real bad when you start, guys. And I love it now. It's like, true. Oh, boy. Uh, but by about the halfway mark of the season, things really pick up. And they pick up with a number of standout episodes that are still regarded as some of the best of the new run. Uh, you have The Empty Child, The Doctor Dances, which is a two-parter written by Stephen really Moffat, good. who would later on go on to run the show. Uh, an episode called Father's Day, dealing again with Rose 
issues in her past. Um, you even have Boomtown, an episode later in the season that brings back the, the Slavine, the farting aliens, but brings them back in a way that is actually kind of interesting and complicated and shows, even in one season, how much farther is along they have gone. Is that when Harriet Jones, Prime Minister, comes in? I believe so. Aww. Oh, Harriet Jones, Prime Minister. I'll take it. Yeah. So, um... Starting with the Ninth Doctor is both a really great place to start because you're with a essentially fresh blank slate, but it's also a little bit rocky. Um, so uh, the things that I love about it are that if you stick with it through the whole season, A, I'm pretty sure you'll be hooked and be ready for the future seasons, which we'll talk about on future episodes because there's a lot to talk about. So we had to go by Doctor. Um, but also because it'll become very clear to you the themes that this show is working with. Um, some really key ones, uh, I think the joy of exploration and possibility there's just a super sense of fun in this show of being able to go anywhere and see anything and so much of what the doctor and rose or any companions do essentially amounts to intergalactic tourism it's like hey oh, let's yeah. go see this cool thing like wouldn't you like to meet shakespeare yeah. let's go to a planet where everyone has a punch bowl for a head yeah and like, you know so you travel and then something are... happens when they travel there those are actual episodes well i mean shakespeare is the punch bowl thing not so much I mean, I'm sure that's. I'm sure that it's happened so, at some point in the Doctor it's Who plot. A spec script. Yeah, the prop department of Doctor Who is. I'm sure they're used ready. A punch bowl at some point. Um, uh, you also have this idea of the resilience of humanity. Um, it's written into the show a little bit just so that we can get some familiar people in there. But the Doctor has a really deep and abiding love and awe of humanity. Um, he comes back to Earth all the time, not just because it's appropriate and convenient for the plot, but also because he's really fascinated by humans. It's why they tend to be his primary companions. And you also see, especially during this first season, um, a sense of humanity's timeline as a presence in the universe. Uh, they jump to the last day of Earth. They jump to various points in the future of humanity. And the question is put on the table of sort of how and why and in what ways we're going to evolve as a species. Um, and that's a fascination that the show never really abandons, which is great. Um, some tension points thematically are the Doctor's perception of time and of his life versus his companions. Um, one of the things that makes him most fun, his sort of cavalier can-do attitude can be incredibly frustrating and results in really dangerous situations for the companions. Um, so there's a lot of tension generally between the way that he sees the people who travel with him as, you know, sort of playthings or even pets sometimes versus the things that they need from him uh, and the call to heroism that they make for him. Um, and then uh, again, like we were saying, there's always this tension in the show of whether it's going to focus on the doctor or on the doctor's companions. Um, Davies is somebody who's super interested in the companions. Stephen Moffat, who wrote a couple seasons or a couple episodes of this season and then took on the show. And some to really run good episodes. On. Oh yeah, he's amazing. Is very much more interested in the doctor specifically. Specifically. And so as you go through the series, you get to watch that balance sort of tip back and forth based on the people who are creating and writing. Um, it's a show that brings in really brilliant writers. Uh, Neil Gaiman wrote an episode. Oh, yeah. Um, just they, you know, it's something that especially for British people holds a very close place in their heart from growing up with it, but it is now becoming a staple of American geek culture and childhoods as well, which in a way that's really lovely. I feel like the closest thing I can think about would uh, in relation to that would be like a Star Wars or a Star Trek and like yeah. people growing up with that and now seeing their kids get involved with it and seeing you know new the the new trilogy come out yeah i think it's almost like a really slow rolling star wars yeah where it's a cultural phenomenon but over a, a gradual expanse of time oh yeah and like 
on a much more regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it is absolutely worth checking out and can highly, highly recommend starting with Christopher Eccleston's Doctor Number Nine. Um, so Annie, how about this crossover? Um, where are we looking thematically? So thematically, um, I feel like there is a lot to say about, especially the companions and Shihiro, about being kind of pulled out of the status quo and having to um, kind of rise to challenges that might be a little above your head. Um, And even though it's exciting and you get to meet new friends and kind of see really crazy, interesting things, um, it's still like overwhelming at times. And what kind of life are you leaving behind and what are you potentially going to return to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's also a really big idea of uh, teamwork and of pulling together a ragtag group of people in order to solve a problem. Um, The season with uh, Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor um, wraps up with pretty much every major character that we've met through the course of the season being called back into duty uh, and really pitching in. Um, You know, the family that's been skeptical of the Doctor the whole season shows up to help Rose. uh, Jack Harkin uh, gets to do his thing. Harriet um, Jones, Prime Minister. Yeah, exactly. Runs you just in. get all of these people who you've met over the course of the season mm-hmm. and who have very different backgrounds and opinions coming together to face uh, oh. a, a centralized antagonist, which yeah. isn't as present in Spirited Away. Well, but no, I think, I think that, um, you know, Chihiro um, goes to visit uh, Saniba and she kind of helps Chihiro um, figure out, like, how to um, get her parents back. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, she has to, like, pick her parents out of the whole mess of pigs. Um, And the the baby. (laughs) Oh, the giant baby. um, He is like, no, you have to be nice to my friend. And, like, basically pressures his mom into being fair. And, yeah, yeah, I think, like, by by the end of the movie, everybody is kind of waving at Chihiro and excited for her and they're yeah. they're really happy that she won and you know Yubaba's not gonna like secretly trick her and right and there's keep a, her in the bathhouse forever and there's a real sense <laughs> of compassion to both things as well yeah. i think because i mean so the doctor doesn't kill he doesn't use guns um i guess if he and, does kill or if he does it's usually because he's pushed to a point of inescapability or and, where he and trying to protect get away. something else exactly um, usually humanity yeah but his default setting is usually to try to understand the thing that is coming at them which is a really sort of revolutionary and, idea especially in an action show yeah and it makes total sense where it gets into this idea that if an alien is killing people it's possibly not because it's evil it's because it doesn't understand what's going on mm. or because it needs clarification which is a great um the uh what episode the child um, are you my mom? Oh, the empty child. The empty child episode. Like, I think that's a fantastic example of that philosophy. Yeah, you get to see moments throughout the season where the doctor gets to solve everything without anybody dying, and the sheer joy that that brings him is really uplifting. Um, as an action hero, it's kind of great to see somebody who just wants to get out with as low a body count as possible. And I feel like that kind of ties into the Miyazaki philosophy in general, in terms of like the doctor is only upset of at humanity when humanity is just trying to destroy itself and do yeah. terrible things. Um, and I think Miyazaki oddly feels the same way. He's like the doctor of anime where he he loves the world and just wants people to take care of it. And I think the message in his movies about you know, environmentalism mm-hmm. and consumerism, like he, he would have kind of a similar philosophy to the doctor of like, well, we want people to do better. Absolutely. 
Um, so thematically, we're all set. How about physically? How do these the properties cross over with one Ooh, another? Ooh, let's play some games. Yay. Well, first, let's talk about general terms. How oh, are yeah. We, how are we I always forget that. I'm so excited about games. want to skip right to the games. Right? Got to get a baseline first. Yeah. Um, so I can see this going a couple ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first one is if there is not already in the works at least some Doctor Who fan fiction about the Doctor and his companion going to visit the spirit bathhouse right. just to check it out. You guys, it's so cool. Of course cool. you would go visit there. Yeah, this is absolutely... Gonna, I feel like it's like, let's go to the spirit world spa. Like, yeah. that sounds awesome. That's the best beginning of an episode. I mean, like Bruce the pre- Tyler would be totally up for that. Oh, yeah. The pre-credit sequence alone would be worth visiting. I mean, it would be great. And you can render all of the horrifyingly grotesque spirits in, like, the cheapest rubber, rubber masks Aww. and outfits you can get. Whatever but- you can compile from the costume department. Exactly. The doctor and Rose show up at the bathhouse and then all of a sudden things at the bathhouse start getting very weird because no face is there and yeah. people don't know how to handle no and face. And he's eating people. Exactly. He's eating people. Things are getting really out of hand. There's a lot of great cheesily rendered chase scenes, but the doctor steps in and of course finds the point of understanding, which is that Oh no, I like that Shihiro does. Oh yeah, I mean she's around too. Maybe she's Oh no, a... I don't want to take that away from her. Okay. Oh, you know what? She's probably a great one-off character that they meet, which they do a lot when they go to places is they go to yeah, the place. Yeah, I think that's they it. Meet her. Yeah, and so they help her do her thing. In the meantime, the doctor gets to run away from No Face a lot and it's great and probably gets and covered in stink Yeah, I stuff. would imagine that maybe it's that No Face is not necessarily of the spirit world and maybe he is an alien mm. and that's why he doesn't understand the norms. Yeah. He's standing outside, wait, like in the rain and he has to be invited in. Um, so yeah, I could see him as like someone who got lost basically. Absolutely. Um. And maybe the doctor and Rose like think, okay, well, we got to get him back to the planet of the no faces. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the movie, he's kind of found his place there. Yeah, absolutely. And he likes it there, and Shihiro's going to take care of him. Well, she leaves, but no, he's, the baby's there. Okay, <laughs> giant just, baby. As long as she has her giant baby friend, everything will be fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, any other approaches? Um, no, I mean, I think I think that works really just perfectly as a doctor visits this world yeah. setting. I got, um, I, got, I got one more possibility. Oh, what's your possibility? And that is that I think Chihiro would make a bitchin' companion. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. I think I can see that as like, so Chihiro like goes back. She gets her parents. Uh-huh. She goes back to normal life. But mm-hmm. in like 10 years. Oh, yeah. She has like a normal job in Tokyo. Right. And uh, yeah, the doctor comes and picks her up. They go on adventures. And the TARDIS has found her because there's something sort of strange about yeah, her. Yeah, because some she kind has of residual the spirit energy. world on her. Yeah. And so they go, maybe they have a couple adventures and she is like almost distressingly unfazed by things. Yeah. And so the doctor starts thinking like, oh my God, this is a very fascinating person. Like I need to figure out what her deal is, but maybe not in the Clara Oswald way. Oh yeah. Um, he, but in the way of like, oh man, this girl like where, is yeah. taking everything totally in stride. There must be something like, more to this it. This is not my first rodeo. Yeah. Oh, and you know what it is? It's then they find out that maybe the spirit bathhouse is in trouble. So they have to go back. Oh, he yeah. finds out about her past. Oh, so it's like a sequel. Yeah, he finds out that about her past, and they go Maybe. back. So she takes her. She's like, okay, I'm going to show you how I get all this residual spiritual energy. Yeah. Follow me to these coordinates, and they go, and like the bathhouse is being closed down. Yeah, maybe um, Yubaba has some kind of illness. Yeah, she like physically can't run the bathhouse anymore. Oh man, you know this is. Uh, both a serious suggestion because I think it would totally fit in a Miyazaki movie, but it also is stolen from a, like a USA Up All Night special in the 80s. Greedy real estate developer coming in and going to pave over uh, the spirit bathhouse. They've uh, got to have a well, bake sale. I mean, I could see it as 
because the spirit bathhouse also exists in the real world in a mm-hmm. strange way, like I could see like again, like pollution and development and consumerism really coming to play. And maybe From they like greedy real they wrecked their well, yeah. But like I think that's like a side plot. It's not like Can the Doctor and Chihiro please have no, a bake sale or a car wash? No. no. Volleyball tournament? No. Nothing? No. Because in Miyazaki movies, there's no like evil, you know, Captain Planet-y villain. No, maybe maybe they find out that the greedy real estate developer had a rough childhood, and so they... Yeah. They send I don't know. Therapy. I feel like it's more like a general encroachment of capitalism. Yeah, I guess. Um, and so then do and they, pollution. So then do they take the spirit bathhouse to a different planet? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, do they put it on the moon? Yeah, I wonder if you can... Well, I wonder if you can... You know those little, like, in-between places in time and space mm-hmm. where... Rose gets stuck later on. <laughs> um, I feel like you could move it to an in-between place. Oh, and you so could shift it. Yeah, you could shift it. So it yeah. would be in a different liminal space, um, but still in the same place. Or. 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 TARDIS has infinite space. TARDIS becomes a spirit bathhouse. That's a lot of people to deal with every day. Yeah, but you know, he gives them a back uh, door. I don't know, man. I think I think Yubaba would not we have know, any of that. We know they have a pool. That is true. So maybe it's a transitory, like a, it's a it's a transitory period. Yeah. When they're building the new spirit ha- bathhouse, or when they're moving it, oh. all the spirits have to come and hang out in the TARDIS, and it's like a lot of comedy of like sad trombone, womp womp womp, spirits walking <laughs> around, you know, farting. Yeah, there, there's probably some farting elements yeah, right. in there, and that would be fine. Miyazaki's not above a fart joke. Uh, He's probably above a fart joke. I don't know. I don't remember any. If anybody remembers a fart joke in a Miyazaki yeah, movie, let us please know. tweet it to us because I am fascinated. Yeah, right? So in either of these crossovers, uh, let's play some games. Yeah. Hey. Um, kiss your faces. Um, for this one, I mean, in Miyazaki, there aren't so many faces that you would be kissing. True. Um, He's not the most sexualized no. Japanese animation. <laughs> and that is a fact. Yeah, right? <laughs> Thank God. Um, but... I mean, Lynn, again, kind of big sister to Chihiro. Mm-hmm. She she is working hard at the bathhouse. It's true. Um, I feel like she and uh, um, John Barrowman is... See, I feel like I, Jack Harkness Jack is... Jack Harkness. He's such an, he's such a, like an open book uh, that I feel like it's almost weird to not waste him but to like to use him as a pick for a cis for a cis relationship i feel like i well, want i want captain jack like oh, hooking yeah. up with the three bouncing heads or something <laughs> that is true like i mean they, that we can't, is so, but we i can just go. love lynn so much i feel oh, like yeah. she, she deserves a little like kiss could hang out oh but mickey i mean he's he's into rose he is but he's not like endlessly into. i rose. feel like i could see later chihiro and mickey where yeah. he like he's seen some stuff too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think I I could see it, frankly. Um, so wait, so who would you pair with, um, Captain Jack Harkness? I mean, the three bouncing heads are up there. I'm not gonna lie. Okay. Uh, I mean, No Face is very sweet once um, he once he calms down. Honest, literally any character in Spirited Away. I feel Kamaji. like I feel like get yeah. all those arms, Kamaji, man. Exactly. Give you know, me a big hug. <laughs> Jack Harkness doesn't. That doesn't is true. Good select. point. But like all oh, in. Oh yeah. Um, no, I feel like Lynn would find somebody. Uh, maybe you know, maybe Sheena Slovene. Yeah. No, she'd she'd get it some antacids. No. Yeah, no. Let's not do that. All right. Um. So yeah. we've got some marginal kiss your faces. 
How about the Battle Dome? Who's he going to fight? Oh, man. Um, Giant Baby's got to throw down with somebody. Giant Baby and the Slovene would yeah. throw down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, there'd be so much. I feel like Giant Baby and the Three Heads. Versus, versus the, the Slovene. 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 Man, Russell D. Davies, why did you do that? I have no idea. I always thought it was Slovene until ah. seeing the notes for this. Well, there you go. Um, I feel like Jackie and Yubaba would throw down. Oh, yeah. I feel yeah. like Yubaba would kind of take her, though. Yeah, I mean, she's got the magics. Yeah. But Jackie would put up a good fight. Oh, she would. And she would, like, march in her office. Yeah, and, like, put a cigarette out on her or yeah, something. Right. Like, yeah, right. And Yubaba would just, like, magic her out the door. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like Haku and the doctor would probably fight. Yeah, because they're – it would be one of those where they fight, but then they <laughs> become <laughs> the, friends. The Annie Cardi special, we <laughs> <Yeah>. call it. <laughs> Fight till your friends. Fight till your friends. Um, We're Hufflepuffs over here. (laughs) Which I think is a great segue into best buddies. Yeah. I feel like um, Kamaji and the Doctor could end up being, like, I feel like they would end up being, like, they have met each other before somehow. Yeah. And he's like, like, oh, I'm going to go see my friend Kamaji. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. Kamaji's been around for a while. Yeah. I think uh, my, for some reason, the first thing that I thought of when I was thinking best buddies, Radish Spirit face of Bo. I was thinking... Um, they would just sit and look at the stars. Yeah, that is true. And they're both kind of unwieldy. Yeah, know? it's... Uh, it's but, kinda... you know, um, Yubaba's baby oh, is, uh, his, yeah. is named, I think, Bo. B-O-H. Oh. So we could have Bo and Bo. So is that his face? No. Well, we know I, whose face that I is. Know. Okay. Right. Yeah. So uh, I don't want to so, spoil that. Oh, yeah. No. Go watch Doctor Who, for God's sake. Um yeah, I think there's some best buddies there. Uh, who yeah. would she? I mean, Chihiro and Rose, I think, would have. Oh a lot yeah, to talk because about. again, they're just like, what is going on yeah. in our lives? And if Lynn and Mickey didn't hook up, they would at least be cool with each other. Yeah, I feel like they as would get like along. sidekicks. Yeah, they would share some notes. You know, maybe maybe Lynn and Rose. Oh yeah, they're very competent. Yeah, and like no and nonsense. Like, yeah, exactly. I feel like, and they would like laugh together. Yeah, exactly. They'd have some fun. They would go get drunk. Yeah, It'd be great. Um, yeah, well, I think that I feel good about this crossover. Yeah, I feel like too. it can work on a couple different axes. Oh, totally. Yeah, I would watch the hell out of it, I can yeah, tell you Yeah, right? Um, so yeah, then why don't we move into our final segment, which is, of course, Reader's Advisories. Yay! Annie, I like Spirited Away like. a lot. What should I do? Um, you should watch all the Studio Ghibli movies. <laughs> <laughs> They're so good. I feel like nine times out of ten, if I'm sitting at home, it's going to be a Studio Ghibli movie. Or a Jane Austen movie. Yep. Or yeah. Or I can like attest to Anne that. of Green Gables under well, that, Anne Green Gables under under that yeah. umbrella. Yeah. Um, a basically couple, a, a Jane Austen movie. Yeah. Um, a couple other ones specifically that I really like: um, Kiki's Delivery Service, um, My Neighbor Totoro, The Secret World of Arietti. Um My Neighbor Totoro, which it is impossible to find a Totoro garden gnome. Yeah, like I want a like I don't even garden. I just want a garden gnome of like Totoro because nice, he's the spirit of the forest. Yeah, like a nice granite or stone or wood, just yeah. like a garden gnome. Oh my god, shaped like Totoro. Yeah, this if you is can not find one, not that. a teeny one because you can have these little miniature ones yeah, that you no. put in. No, I want like a real garden like one, like at least a foot high. Yeah, like get on it. Internet. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, watch all those movies. Oh, mm. they're so good. Um. For books, um, I don't know if this is just because we watched the movie recently, but I would recommend Coraline, um, actually the book and movie, um, also about a girl who has to save her parents from a dark underworld, mm-hmm. um, and also uh, Neil Gaiman's graveyard, the graveyard book, which has like 
a spirit world setting. I would also add Neil Gaiman's The Ocean at the End of the Lane mm-hmm. onto there. Which uh, I haven't read yet. Which is wonderful. I don't want to jump in on your on your reader's advisory. That's okay. But... Maybe I'll jump in on yours. Oh my gosh. I know, right? Unprecedented. I um, but yeah, another sort of trip into a parallel reality. Um, and Neil Gaiman is great at that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he's he's like the little Venn diagram for this episode because mm-hmm. he wrote that Doctor Who episode. Exactly. He's the Rosetta Stone. Um, more books would be um, the uh, Daughter of Smoke and Bone series by uh, Lani Taylor. I think I'm saying your name right. I hope so. Um, it's definitely on the more YA end, whereas I feel like the, the Neil Gaiman recommendations are more middle grade. Um, but I feel like uh, Carew working for Brimstone and the Camaro just reminds me of the whole bathhouse setting and like this kind of creepy world that is not quite so creepy um, and this whole like economy going on basically um, behind mm-hmm. the scenes of the human world and like really fun and well written. Um, a book that I haven't read yet but I've heard great things about is uh, The Girl Who Circumnavigated Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making. Good title. Yeah, right? Um, by Catherine M. Valenti. Um, and yeah, just like in girl adventure magic. Um, so yeah, that needs to get to girl bumped. adventure magic. Yeah, like what the part Annie of that don't you want? Story. I don't know why I haven't read this yet. <laughs> um, and not in the the book recommendations, but uh, Over the Garden Wall is a mini series that was on Cartoon Network about two brothers trying to find their way back home through a like twisted fairy tale world. Um, it's definitely creepier than Spirited Away, but it has that same sense of like things that seem scary, maybe not being so scary and coming of age and like just a really sensitive, thoughtful portrayal of um, this family relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are my reader's advisory. I like them. What about yours? Um, so for Doctor mm-hmm. Who, uh, there are a number of spinoffs. Uh, there's of course Torchwood, which like Annie said, is a bit darker. Uh, it features John Barrowman and an organization uh, on Earth that is founded in the Doctor Who universe, the Doctor Who universe, um, that is much more Earth-based, but but still has all of the supernatural hijinks um, on it. It gets dark and people die and it's upsetting, but uh, it is uh, it's a pretty good run. I think it's a little bit uneven, sort of spikes as it goes. Uh, Torchlight? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed all of it. Yeah. Um, but I think I'd also gone into it thinking that, oh, some stuff was not going to be as good as the other stuff. And again, I find it generally enjoyable. Totally. Um, and there's also a new spinoff of Doctor Who called Class. We have not watched it yet. because No, we're, but it sounds really cool. Because we're not caught up on Doctor Who yet. You I guys. know. So embarrassing. Yeah, but I've heard very, very good things. Um, some starter episodes of Doctor Who. So you watched the first episode of Christopher Eccleston and you were like, what were those walking mannequins with guns on their hands? Why am I doing this? Who am I? What is the world? Um the way that I got Annie back from the brink of never watching Doctor Who again was I showed her two key Doctor Who episodes. They're not during the Ninth Doctor's run, but for me, they occupy the real full prime example of what this show can be at its best. So I highly recommend that you watch these two episodes in isolation. Um, you won't need much to catch up because they work well as little individual units. The first is called Blink. Uh, it's in season three. It's during David Tennant's role, reign as the Doctor. Um, it features Carrie Mulligan, 
uh, before she became a big deal. It also introduces one of the more longstanding new monsters in the Doctor Who pantheon. It is just a lovely, like, fun adventure thrill ride episode. And then in season four, also with David Tennant, there's an episode called Midnight. It's a bottle episode, uh, so one location. It is an incredibly well-crafted thriller, and you don't need to know anything else about the show going in. Watch Midnight and watch Blink. If you're not totally fascinated and interested by that point then doctor who may not be for you but at least watch those two episodes and then jump back to the beginning with christopher eccleston and go from there i think you'll be happy and then i mentioned earlier in the episode that doctor who strikes me in a lot of ways as a comic book and so i thought i would recommend a comic book um if you are not already reading saga by brian k vaughn and fiona staples i don't know what to tell you um this comic is amazing uh it is a sort of space romance fantasy epic with the same spirit of exploration and anything being possible that Doctor Who has at its best moments. It has more violence and more sex in it than Doctor Who tends to. Um, major characters get killed off with fair, fairly regular rate. There we go. I finished a sentence. There we go. Um, but it is the, the breadth of imagination in this series and of really deeply thought out and felt character interactions is some of the best in comics right now. Cannot recommend it enough. Go out and buy Saga right now. And Annie, did you have one that you wanted to jump in on? Uh, no, I mean, I feel like... Yeah, it's um, that's a very good one. I know. I maybe I'll add some in the notes once I once I think have more time to think. Sneaky, sneaky. I know, right? (laughs) It's always more time for readers' advisory. Well, just one more reason for you to go and check out all of our online content, which you can do by going to crossoverappealpodcast.tumblr.com. And if you have thoughts on um other things you'd recommend for fans of Spirited Away or Doctor Who, or Or you find a garden gnome, you find a garden gnome, email me immediately. Um, or yeah, any thoughts about mashups, this one, mm-hmm. other ones, you can email us at crossoverappealpodcast at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is Crossover Appeal Podcast. And on off weeks, we have big threads about what people are watching and whether they like them or not. Yeah. So if you're watching something that you love, tell us about it. If you're mm-hmm. watching something that you hate, also tell us about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at uh, on Twitter, we are at Crossover Appeal. And if you dig the show, please, please, please do retweet us, share us with your friends, uh, talk about us all the time. We love it. Um, and go on iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a rating, why don't you? Uh, it's a great way to generate new listeners, and it means a lot to us. Oh, yeah. Big thanks to the people who have already rated and reviewed. Um, You're it, our best friends. Yeah, like, it is so awesome. Mm-hmm. Tell us your actual names instead of your usernames so that we'll know that you're our best friends, but you're our best friends. Or now that just your username is okay. You can just stay as our our anonymous best friends out in the world. Um, But yeah, uh, do all of those things, please. It means a lot. It means that we can get more nerdiness into more people's ears. But uh, do we want to give specific shout outs to people who have? Absolutely. Yeah, because I think that's fun. Um, So for people who have um, recently rated us and reviewed us on iTunes, um, thank you to Sebastos Bud. Captain Sand, Spud, Helga Grace, and Scrojo. Scrojo. Yeah. Oh, it's like Scarlett Johansson, but I assume. Yeah. I mean, I guess she loves it. You guys. Yeah, she's she's waiting for that Black Widow episode. Man, it's coming. 
once yeah. they make a movie. I know, right? <laughs> well, until that day, not actually, until two weeks from yes. now, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and sign off. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Annie Cardi. And we are reminding you to, as always, please ship responsibly. Please ship responsibly.